This call is being recorded. Hello and welcome to my show, Searching for Integrity. My name really is John Smith, and I'm searching for people with integrity. Why? Because of our country suffers from IDD, Integrity Deficit Disorder. And I have a number of articles today to share with you, events and so forth that have been grabbing the news on radio and TV. And next we're going to hear it on the Integrity Searching Search. And I'm going to get together, get it right, get it done, and we'll have a nice, exciting 30 minutes. have an article here, The Public Needs Answers on Biden's. It's an outside columnist, Byron York, chief political correspondent for the Washington Examiner. The public needs answers on Biden's. One of the mysteries of the Hunter Biden matter is how the president's son, with no obvious sources of income, manages to maintain a grand lifestyle. For the last year or so, he has been living in a $20,000 a month rental house in Malibu, California. The taxpayers are footing the bill for the Secret Service to pay even more, $30,000 a month, to rent the house next door while protecting Hunter. The younger Biden also likes nice cars. A 2020 photo showed him arriving for lunch at the Waldorf Astoria in a Porsche Panorama GTS, which costs six figures. Federal prosecutors are also said to be looking into his purchase of another six-figure auto, a Fisker electric sports car. Where is all that money coming from? Does Biden, who by his own description, has in the past been a notorious drug addict, who threw away money right and left, have great investments that keep him in such a life, even as he hires expensive lawyers to represent him in a federal tax and influence probe. Are his corrupt benefactors in Ukraine or China or elsewhere still helping him? Has he sold so many paintings in confidential transactions? Of course, that is rolling in the dough. What is the story? Now we have some new news, new clues. New reports has been operating behind the scenes and has turned his attention to recent weeks to conducting forensic analysis and investigation into what happened to Hunter Biden's laptop, including how the device became public Sources familiar with his efforts say that's a fascinating tidbit because it indicates Biden might be preparing some sort of public relations campaign challenging the legitimacy of the laptop and just as his defenders did before the 2020 election. It was successful back then when some major news organizations downplayed the news 
Social media giants suppressed it, and national security experts denounced it as Russian disinformation. But in the years since, both the New York Times and Washington Post have authenticated information that came from the laptop. It will be hard to play the Russian disinformation card again. Anybody reading the new stories about Morris paying Biden's back taxes and expenses will have to wonder, is that legal? It's unclear. CBS reported that Morris is working on a documentary chronicling Hunter Biden's life since he has been the focus of conservative television commenters and investigated by congressional federal prosecutors who are investigating whether Biden properly paid taxes on the millions he received through trading on the family name with shady foreign business people. Hmm. Sounds like a lot to me. I resume. But we always remember this. The big story, the biggest story behind the laptop is President Joe Biden. Yes, Hunter Biden used his family connections and collected millions of dollars from disputable overseas operators, but there is still the more important question of the president. What did he know about his son's business dealings, and did he benefit? President Biden has repeatedly claimed he knew nothing about his son's operation, even as evidence accumulates that suggest he must have known. And what about the references in communications on the laptop that indicate Hunter Biden, when he was pulling in big overseas payments, covered some of his father's expenses? And then what about reports that Joe Biden in return paid up to 800,000 of Hunter Biden's expenses during the presidential campaign. Clearly, there is more to learn. At some point, the U.S. attorney in Delaware will decide to charge or not to change Hunter Biden, to charge Hunter Biden. When that happens, we'll all learn more, but not all of the story. article. Interesting, though. Many others have viewed the same. And uh, now I'm going to let's see. This is for Byron York again. I think we've seen that one. Mm -hmm. Now we have some other items. First of all, about Putin has a military rebellion problem on his hands, reports say. From John Jackson. Russian President Vladimir Putin may be seeing serious dissension in his military's ranks if reports about officer insubordination and low troop morale in Ukraine 
or any indication. On Monday, a senior official from the U.S. Defense Department said the agency had received anecdotal reports about officers in Russia's military refusing to follow orders in the Ukraine. The statement came from numerous reports have surfaced since the beginning of the war about Russia's forces suffering from low morale. The Pentagon officials said the reports, which could be not be independently confirmed, concerned officers in mid-grade positions, including some at the battalion level. The claim about officers disobeying orders followed numerous reports like the one from a March 1 New York Times story that cited a Pentagon official who said entire Russian units had laid down their weapons rather than fight Ukraine's forces. Some Russian troops had even sabotaged their own vehicles, according to the official. More recently, the Ukrainian government said last month he had learned of Russian troops who had refused to fight. This is very interesting. There are good reasons for low morale on the Russian side. The war is not going well. Its purpose is unclear. And fighting a war against a neighbor with whom it's easy to communicate is psychologically burdensome to soldiers, soldiers, said Michael Kimmage, a Catholic University history professor and former member of the Secretary's policy planning staff at the State Department. While Kimmage told Newsweek he has not seen any evidence to suggest a widespread rebellion among Putin's troops, he noted it is possible that there are multi-mutinous, it's a big word, mutinous, mutiny, movements within the Russian army, and not all of them on the lower levels. Monday's comments from the Pentagon regarding officers not only orders came after New York Times reported on May 4th that the U.S. intelligence community had proved provided information to Ukraine that helped it find and kill Russian generals. The Pentagon later denied the U.S. had provided Ukraine with any intelligence regarding the location of Russian military officers. Defense Intelligence Actor, Agency Director, Scott Barrier said at a Senate hearing on Tuesday, that an estimated eight to 10 Russian generals have been killed since Russia's attacks began in late February. Barrier, a lieutenant general, attributed the large number of deaths along, among Russians officers to the military's lack of NCOs or non-commissioned officers, which results in higher ranking military leaders being forced to the dangerous front lines. Non-commissioned officers are people, military, that are sergeants and corporals and privates. 
Lawrence Reardon, an associate professor of political science at the University of New Hampshire, told Newsweek that these sorts of realities in the war could lead to dissent among both officers and soldiers. No doubt, is my thought. I'm not surprised at the stories depicting Russian soldiers and even mid-level officers refusing to follow orders as they are facing a different form or warfare, where the soldiers not only worry about landmines, but unseen, silent drones flying overhead, launching missiles and dropping grenades on Russian armor and Russian generals. Reardon said. <clears throat> he had he added that the majority of soldiers in Ukraine are conscripts from the Russian heartland who are dealing with old or defective equipment, lack the technological expertise to counter the sophisticated Western arms going to Ukraine. Like barrier Reardon cited Russia's lack of non-commissioned officers as a problem, saying such leaders could help keep the conscripts obeying their orders. Insubordination and low troop morale are things that happen in any war. Yuri Shukov, an associate professor at the University of Michigan, said, my own senses is that Russia almost certainly has more serious morale problem than the Ukrainians do. And they are adapting to try to keep these cases contained. He added, in wartime, each side has an incentive to publicly minimize their own losses and inflate the losses of their opponent, including cases of soldiers surrendering, surrendering, deserting, and disobeying orders. Northwestern University political science professor William Reno said he also feels statements from U.S. and European officials about Russia's low morale and officer dissent are being made, in part as a strategic move. No doubt, There are instances of insubordination, Reno said. U.S. agencies pick up all sorts of Russian battlefield communications and observe moments on the ground. So I'd classify the Department of Defense statement as a not false statement. Reno also said that while Russia's military consistently underperforms, such Statements play to concerns among some Russians, members of the elite and otherwise, that their system is very poor at correcting course. Escalation and the nuclear shadow are real concerns in this contest context, given Moscow's very poor hand at this point. He said that also means the in-game from NATO perspective would involve Russia's political system crumbling from within. 
network reached out to Russia's defense ministry for comment. And thank you. Here's some more. Russia reportedly lost more ground in Ukraine on Wednesday than while failing to make any significant advances in its ongoing offensive in the country, according to a U.S. think tank. The Institute for the Study of War, ISW, which focuses on research and analysis regarding defense and foreign affairs, and provides daily updates on the war in Ukraine, said in its May 11 assessment three days ago that Ukrainian forces took further ground northeast of Kharkiv. The Ukrainian counteroffensive north of Kharkiv city has forced Russian troops into the defensive and necessitated reinforcement and replacement and replenishment efforts intended to prevent further Ukrainian advances towards the Russian border, the ISW said. Russian efforts along the southern axis and in Donetsk and Luhansk oblasts remain similarly stalled, and Russian forces have not made any significant gains in the face of continued successful Ukrainian defenses. Here's a picture of a tank. Looks like three soldiers atop with battle gear. Picture says Russia reportedly lost more ground in Ukraine on Wednesday while failing to make any significant advances in its ongoing offensive in the country, according to the U.S. think tank. Above, Ukrainian servicemen ride on an armored personnel carrier on a road near Petrovsky village in Kharkiv region amid the Russian invasion of Ukraine on May the 9th, less than a week away. The Russian offensive in Ukraine is currently concentrated in the eastern Donbass region, but recent reports from the ISW indicate that Russian President Vladimir Putin's troops have faced several consecutive days, days of either ground losses or little to no progress in gaining ground. Don't you just make that guy's Putin blood boil? He brought it on himself, though. He certainly did. Let's hopefully get he gets what he deserves. <clears throat> All right, let me continue. An ISW map with terrain control assessments shows that Russia still holds a stretch of land in the east of Ukraine as of May 11, particularly in the self-declared pro-Russia separatist states, but the Ukrainian counteroffensive is chipping away at some areas along the edge of the Russian-held territory. Newsweek reached out to Russia's defense ministry, seeking 
confirmation of the May 11 ISW report. The Twitter account for the Russian Defense Ministry has not posted a briefing on the war since April 26, and Newsweek was not immediately able able to access the ministry's website to view any potential updates that were issued more recently. The May 11 ISW report noted that the additional key takeaways for the conflict included efforts from Russian forces to consolidate their positions in the western Kyrgyzstan region and push into the Mykolaiv region. It also said that there were continued attempts by Russia to encircle Ukrainian positions in the Severodontesk, Rubinchin, and Lyschansk area, even though Russian, no Russian advances in the initiative were confirmed. Certainly mundle that bit of Kaprak, Ukraine, Severodontesk, Rubinchin, Lyschansk. Hey, that's much better. What a good time, boy. Okay. Um, <clears throat> the reported progress for the Ukrainian counteroffensive on Wednesday followed several days of similar assessments. The ISW said on May 10 that the Ukrainian forces north of the city of Kharkiv continued to successfully push Russian forces back toward the Russian border and it said on May 9 that Russian troops continued to display low morale and poor discipline as fighting in many areas has stalled out against Ukrainian resistance. Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky also said during a video address Tuesday evening that his troops made progress in pushing Russian troops from several villages near Kharkiv but warned his people against spreading excessive emotions and expecting weekly or daily victories, according to the Independent. Still, Lieutenant General Scott Barrier, the director of the U.S. Defense Intelligence Agency, said Wednesday that Russia and Ukraine appeared to be locked in a stalemate. He added that he believes if Russia doesn't officially declare war on Ukraine, and mobilize, the stalemate will last for a long while, and he doesn't anticipate either side decisively breaking out. Experts, including Yuri Zhukov, an associate professor at the University of Michigan, and Michael Kimmage, a history professor at the Catholic University of America, and former Secretary of Policy, said that Putin could be granted unprecedented powers over Russia if he officially declared war. Interesting. Newsweek reached out to the defense ministries of Russia and Ukraine for comment. Not put together an article yet. Now, for something with a little fun. I have a sports article here. And it's from the Wall Street Journal. 
Jim trying to see me. Rich strike, an 80 to one long shot, surges to a shocking upset in the Kentucky Derby. If you saw that race, you were going to think it was a miracle. I'm going to read you that headline one more time. Rich strike, an 80 to one long shot, surges to a shocking upset in the Kentucky Derby. Here we go. The Derby winner was slated as an alternate in the race until Ethereal Road scratched on Friday. Here's a picture of him. Louisville, Kentucky, the chain of events that led to one of the most shocking upsets in history of Kentucky Derby began on Friday morning in Barn 44 at Churchill Downs. A horse named Ethereal Road didn't seem like himself. I thought the last couple of days Ethereal Road wasn't as sharp as, wasn't as focused as he was earlier in the week, said his 86-year-old Hall of Fame trainer, Dwayne Lucas. I thought he was a little bit flat. I didn't think that he was moving as well. Lucas scratched Ethereal Road and created the opportunity for one of the greatest understudy performances of all time. His replacement, an alternate rich strike, entered the starting gate here as an 80-to-1 long shot on Saturday and then stormed up the rail from far back in a crowded field to win the 148th running of the Derby. Trained by Eric Reed and ridden by Sonny Lennon, Leon, Rich Strike outgunned two of the race's favorites, Epicenter and Zandon. In the home stretch to win America's most prestigious horse race, Epicenter held on for second while Sandon finished third. A $2 win bet on Rich Strike paid $163.60. In the second biggest upset in Derby history. A 50 cent trifecta wager of the top three finishers paid $7,435.35, while a $1 superfecta of the top four finishers with a 35 to 1 shot, simplification in fourth paid $321,500. Donna Rail in 1913 won the Kentucky Derby at odds of 91-1. I didn't think Rich Strike would win, but I knew if he got in, they would know who he was when the race was over, said Reed. The blistering pace of the race is that ultimately set it up for a late running closer like closer like Rich Strike. When the starting gate opened, summer is tomorrow and Crown Prince sprinted to the early lead curving the first quarter mile in 21 seconds and a half mile in 45 seconds. Breaking from the number 20 post, Rich Strike was lagging at the back of the pack in 18th position. Sonny got him to the rail, saving all the ground, Reef said. Reed said. What happened next was shopping, even for Rich Strange's trainer. In the middle of the turn, I lost him for a brief second, then I saw him at the head of the stretch 
when he cut in and then I passed out. I don't remember what happened after that, Reed said. Eighth of a mile to go, it looked like Epicenter would hold off Zanon and win the race, but Red Strike ran both rivals down in the final 50 yards, final 50 yards. I can't believe it after Epicenter effort. Trainer Steve Amison and the sport's all-time leading trainer with nearly 10,000 career fields wins, but fell to 024 in the Derby. The scenario is when I went 024, he couldn't make it up. I got beat by the horse that just got in, as Moosen said. Rich Strike covered the one and a quarter mile distance in two minutes and two seconds. Reed said he was initially told at 8.45 on Friday morning that there were no scratches. I texted my dad, didn't happen, texted some friends, we didn't get in. Sorry, guys, Reed said. But Reed then got a call from Chief Steward Barbara Borden confirming that Rich Strike was in. Rich Strike made the alternate list of the Kentucky Derby by finishing third in the Jeff Ruby Stakes in Kentucky's Turfway Park. This race is considered a minor derby prep race, and it is considered contested and synthetic race and not on dirt surface like Churchill Drowns. Rich Strike is owned by Dawson, who will have a million, three dollar, three, three million dollar derby purse. Are you sure this is not a dream? Because it can't be true, Dawson said. Reassure me this is real. Although the end result was shopping, Saturday's Kentucky Derby was billed as a return to normal at Churchill Downs. The track was back at full capacity with no COVID-19 restrictions for the 14 race car. 2020 Derby was postponed until September and contested with fans in attendance, while attendance was limited to about 50,000 in 2021. Well, this is a fantastic article. I think it was a, 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 a brilliant race on TV. It's one of those, you're up and down, you're up and down, and then you start jumping around. <laughs> it, it's fun. It really is fun. I, I want to thank everybody, all my listeners, of course, for the searching for integrity and uh, thank you for listening to these events important important events and I want to thank you again listeners for tuning in so long and happy trails to all